Good morning. Welcome again to Morning Devotions, and thank you so much for our time together. What a privilege to get to sit down with you every day. And right now we've got the young people reading to us Psalms chapter 91, and I asked them to sit outside under a tree. Those of you in the province, you can stand in front of a beautiful rice field for us to see, or a coconut plantation. You know, especially for our seniors and the young people in Manila, they've been locked down for over six months now. Let them see some outdoors as you remind them of the promises of God. So if you want to be a part of it, just send us your recitation. All right, let's go to our young people now. Psalms 91. He who dwells in the shadow of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, then thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up as you strike your foot against the stone. You will tread on the lion and gather. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Psalms 91. As we go to prayer today, I want you to remember a verse that my friend Claude shared with me this morning. Even now, do you remember when Lazarus was raised from the dead? Martha came and said, Lord, you know, I know that you could have healed him and he's now died. But even now, even now, she understood that hope doesn't end, even at death. Now, some of you, your businesses are um, <clears throat> in difficult situations. Some of you, <clears throat> your careers are in difficult situations. Like Lazarus, it looks like, you know what, it's dead and there is no more hope. But Mary said there in chapter in verse 11, or chapter 11, even now, she knew that God could do anything. You need to understand there is no end to hope. <laughs> Did you hear that? God is the God of hope. Your business is going to be all right. Because even now, God can turn it around. Your career is going to be all right. Because even now, even though you've been laid off and you have no job, and even now, God can turn it around and make a way where there is no way. Beloved, you have to look at these days a little differently. And we're going to get to prayer here in a second, but forgive me for preaching for a minute. We're going to have to look at these days a little differently. You know, most people are looking at these days as so difficult and so negative. And forgive me, it's like we want to go back to Egypt and we understand life in Egypt. We understood how to live. But we're, we're in the desert right now. We're in the wilderness. We're following the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Don't look upon these as difficult days. 
look upon these as exciting days. We haven't come this way before. <laughs> we don't know where we're going, and we don't know how to do it. But God is with us. Father, oh, we thank you for your presence in our lives. We thank you, Lord, that you promised that you'd never leave us, you'd never fail us, you'd never forsake us. Father, I lift to you the businessmen right now. I ask for all across our nation, Lord, that you give our men and women who are in business wisdom, wisdom on how to restart the retail trades, wisdom on how to restart hotels, wisdom on how to restart the transportation and the airplanes, wisdom on how to restart the restaurants, wisdom on how to reopen the malls, wisdom on how to reopen all of the things that cause money to move in the nation. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus, give the businessmen and give the politicians wisdom. And Father, let them be focused on getting the economy open. Let the fear of this silly virus be broken off of our nation. Let this fear that stalks in darkness, let the fear of this thing be broken off of our nation, Father. Let faith rise. Jesus, your word says that when you return to the earth, you are looking to see whether you will find faith. Father, find faith in your people. Find a people of faith who do not walk in fear, who are not wanting to go back into the old ways because they understood them, but are willing to follow the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, that are willing to follow you in a way that we've never gone before and do things in ways that we've never done them before. Oh, Father, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, put an excitement in the hearts of all of our people, an excitement about a new day and doing new things in new ways. We thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's open up our hearts now and spend some time in worship.
Our New Testament passage today, and Sister Bev will be with us in just a few moments for Isaiah, but our New Testament passage is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, as you turn there, let me remind you about services this week and next weekend. The uh, Fortress 91s are still open. Anybody who wants to come, water baptisms will only be taking place in the Fortress 91 services, but you need to call ahead for water baptism. We can have everything ready because we have to do it in a special way. We're not using the big baptismal tanks. We have to, one person can be baptized per pool, and then we have to empty the pool and cleanse it and get it all sanitized and then refill it for the next person. So we're using little kiddie pools and things. So we're doing it a little different way, but where there is a will, there's a way. Now, during Fortress 91 and during the services this weekend, which will be just like last weekend, Friday night, I'll be preaching, carried live to all the the campuses. Uh, Saturday morning, 7.30 and 9.30, I'll be preaching at the Crusade truck in the parking lot at South Campus for our drive-in service for our seniors and for the young people. We do that twice, and then we have the main campus parking lot open also. And then we'll have services Saturday night, Sunday morning at 7.30 with the campus pastor speaking. I'll speak at 10. Campus pastors at 12.30. And again, I'll speak at 3. So all those services. Now, whether you come to a Fortress 91 or whether you come to a drive-in service or whether you come to a main service, I want you to make sure that this week you pick up enough communion for your family. Now, please, 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 please. Not for your barangay, okay? And not for three weeks, okay? Just enough, and you're going to have to write down the name of your family members, all right? They'll have you sign out one for each, because these things are a little expensive, all right? And, you know, we're talking how many tens of thousands that are going to go out. But we want to do a church-wide communion, not this Thursday, but next Thursday. So we've got a week to prepare, and we want all the seniors involved and all the young people involved. So this is why I want you to take some home, all right? You'll have to sign them out, but take them home, and we'll be having this great church-wide communion and healing service two Thursdays from now. All right, so let's get into 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. I, Paul, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face to you, but bold to you when away. Now, he is quoting them. He said, listen, you know... uh, You say that I'm really humble face-to-face, that I'm bold when I'm away. He said, you act like I'm some kind of a coward or a weakling. Remember, this is the church that gave Paul more disrespect than any of the churches that he had ever worked with. But now also notice the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. I love that. Jesus is meek and Jesus is gentle. He said, I beg of you that when I am present... I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. He said, he said, you think, he said, you think, now this is their thoughts. Their thoughts. He said, you you think that I'm walking according to the flesh. You think I'm humble when face to face and bold when away. He said, but I beg of you that when I'm present, I may not have to show boldness. Now, Now, brothers and sisters, what you have to learn is that the people's attitude 
often, not always, because sometimes preachers are bad too, all right? Sometimes we make mistakes too, okay? But people's attitudes often determine the pastor's attitude. He said, now, if you're belligerent and you're nasty, he said, you know what, I'm going to show you that I can be bold. But he said, you know what, if you'll be gentle and meek, he said, you know what, I'll be just as sweet as a puppy dog. Now, sometimes we don't understand that. And sometimes we don't understand that as a pastor, we respond to people's attitudes. You say, well, no, no, that's not what well, Paul did. And so did Jesus, by the way, but we won't get into that. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments. So notice a stronghold is an argument. All right, you, you have to understand this. A stronghold is not a demonic fortress. A stronghold is people's thoughts. He said, to destroy arguments, they're, they're arguments against things, they're arguments against truth, they're, they're false doctrines. He said, he said, I have divine power, God power, to destroy these false doctrines, these bad thoughts. And every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. All right, so notice, let's just, let's just break this down. A stronghold equals people's thoughts, which would be arguments. It would be opinions. It would be against the knowledge of God, against the truth that God has brought out. He said, and take every thought captive to obey Christ, every thought. He said, listen, th this, is, this is what I have divine power to do. Now, folks, when you listen to Paul, or I guess today we read him, when you read Paul's logic, like in Romans and Galatians, you understand God had given Paul a divine power, not, not just human intellect, a divine power, power to absolutely demolish all these opinions and arguments of false doctrines, lofty opinions. Well, you know, well, I think, and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. He said, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So, okay, a leader requires the whole church for discipline. Now, you know, I don't believe in the shunning and things like that that were old, weird doctrines. I don't believe in that. But I also understand that there are people who have done really, really bad things and said really, really bad things, and then they leave the church, and a pastor cannot bring any discipline because all of their old friends keep hanging out with them and treat them as if, you know what, acting like this and doing this, having those girlfriends and, you know, going to the clubs and getting drunk and doing these things, all of that is perfectly all right. A pastor cannot have discipline until the obedience of the church is complete. Ah. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. 
Now, again, you can hear people's arguments. Well, you know, Paul, I'm a Christian. I have a right to my own opinion. He said, well, you know what? Uh, if anyone is confident that you're a Christian, that you're Christ, let him remind himself that, that just as he is Christ, so are we. For even if I boast too little or too much about our authority, Paul said, we have pastoral authority, which the Lord gave me for building you up, not for destroying you. I will not be ashamed. Paul said, you know what? I'm not going to be ashamed of the exercise of, of pastoral leadership authority. Now, notice here. Pastoral authority is for building up, not for destruction. So we don't use our pastoral authority to say, all right, everybody, I don't want you to ever go to this person's business again. Let me tell you about this person. Da -da 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 -da. That would be destroying people. Now, sometimes as a pastor, you have to discipline people. Okay, so you've disciplined them. But the goal is to be redemptive. So you don't go out and, and, and use your influence and use your pastoral authority to destroy people. You don't stand up in the pulpit and call these people by name and destroy them. That's, that's not pastoral authority. Paul said, I won't be ashamed to do that. He said, I do not want to appear to be frightening to you with my letters. He said, all right, yes. I." He said, this is not, now again, bold went away. This comes back down to here. He said, not my motive, not my intention. He said, I, I wrote some strong things, but he said, I didn't want to frighten you. He said, for they say, these people that he's against right here, his, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech is of no account. Now, would you listen to that? In other words, Paul is a weak man, bad speaker. That's what they said about the Apostle Paul. They, they sat in judgment on Paul. All right, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak. Look at it. I mean, he... He, he doesn't dress for success. He doesn't power dress. He, he doesn't look cool. And his speech is of no account. He's, he's not a good speaker. Well, neither was Moses. Look at what Moses accomplished. Look at what Paul accomplished. Let such a person, what kind of a person? This person. Understand that what we say by letter when absent, we will do when present. He said, hey, I mean what I say. He said, I don't just blow smoke. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. All right, he said, listen to these guys. They're just commending themselves. But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, <laughs> They are without understanding. He said, look, look at these. He said, these preachers use the wrong measure. He said, they commend themselves by one another, compare themselves with one another. And folks, the standard is Jesus. But we will not boast beyond limits. He said, hey, I, I, I will boast, but I won't go beyond limits. 
We will only boast with regard to the area of influence God has assigned to us, even to reach you. So Paul said, I only talk about my work. I don't talk about everybody else's work. I talk about my work. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. We were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel. So Paul said, hey, we came first to you. He said, never forget where this all started. He said, you know, these guys that think they're all so great, don't forget it started with me. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others. Now, notice, boast beyond limits. Boast beyond limits. We have the same thing twice, so Paul's really getting our attention here. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others. He said, we don't talk about what, what others have done. He said, we talk about our work, not others. But our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be in, greatly enlarged. Now, here is a great truth. Pastoral ministry, influence. determined by people's faith. Now, there's a great truth. My influence in your life is determined by your faith. <laughs> People don't like that, but it's very true. He said, as your faith increases, our area of influence among you will be greatly enlarged. Your faith in God determines my ability to influence you spiritually. Grow in your faith in Jesus' name. So that we may preach the gospel in the lands beyond you, without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Now, he said, listen, I don't need to talk about what, what I've done. He said, but, you know, others come around and they boast about work done in my area of influence. He said, this is, this is he said, I started this. And now they come in and they pull these people away and they boast about their great work when all they did was, you know, proselyte the people. He said, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. There you go. So it doesn't matter what we say about ourselves. It matters what God says about us in ministry. Now, Paul here is speaking very strongly. He's defending his ministry because, forgive me, as you noticed, if he doesn't, if he doesn't, he won't be able to, to influence these people for the things of God. He said, now listen, th this is who I am. This is the divine authority God has given me. This is the purpose of that authority. This is the ministry that I've had among you. Go back and look through this. You'll get a great understanding of the work of pastors in your life. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship.
talk about Isaiah again. We're in our Old Testament reading, so if you can open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 18. Of course, this year we are going through the Bible in the English Standard Version or the ESV, so that's what I will be using once again to read 
together read with you the book of Isaiah. So it says, Ah, land of whirring wings, possibly locusts or something like that, that is beyond the rivers of Cush. So we continue our journey, our tour of all the nations around Israel. We can go to the north, we can go to the to the east. Of course, we can't really go to the west because we would end up in the Mediterranean Sea, but we can also go to the south. And now we have gone over to the African continent because Cush, the nation of Cush, was actually... Um, it's a conglomeration of what are other nations now, like the southern part of Egypt, uh, including Sudan, the northern part of Ethiopia. So it's that area. And uh, again, get it in your head like where it is so it means something when we talk about it. Ah, land of whirring wings that is beyond the rivers of Cush, which sends ambassadors by the sea in vessels of papyrus on the waters, Go, you swift messengers, to a nation tall and smooth. This is not the only time in this chapter where that is how the people of Cush are described as being tall and smooth. And it makes me think we are so, we humans, we're so vulnerable. We're, we have such a tendency to look at what people look like and to base our Oh, I want to be with that person. Oh, I want to hang out with that person. Oh, I can trust that person. Uh, it's so human of us. But this is what they were looking at. Oh, they're very good-looking people, tall and smooth. <laughs> to a people feared near and far, a nation mighty and conquering, whose land the rivers divide. So this is, you're coming down from the Nile, and then there are lots of tributaries of the Nile in this area. All you inhabitants of the world, you who dwell on the earth, when a signal is raised on the mountains, look. When a trumpet is blown, hear. For thus the Lord said to me, I will look quietly from my dwelling, like clear heat in the sunshine, like a cloud of dew in the heat of harvest. It's one thing, isn't it, that you just come out of Isaiah so overwhelmed with? The sovereignty and authority of our God. He does what he pleases. And there is no man on this world who can stop him, who can hinder him. When he stretches out his hand, it will be. When his mouth speaks a word, it will be. So we need to know what God's will is. We need to know what he is planning and get ourselves in line with it because he is all-powerful. Quietly, just quietly look, sit in on his throne in heaven, quietly looking, and yet the enemy would be left destroyed and bringing tribute. That is the result of the power of God. For before the harvest, when the blossom is over and the flower becomes a ripening grape, he cuts off the shoots with pruning hooks and the spreading branches he lops off and clears away. They shall all of them be left to the birds of prey on the, of the mountains 
and to the beasts of the earth, and the birds of prey will summer on them, and all the beasts of the earth will winter on them. At that time, tribute will be brought to the Lord of hosts from a people tall and smooth, from a people feared near and far, a nation mighty and conquering, whose land the rivers divide. You know, your perspective of people will change if you look at them from God's perspective. And if you look at them in comparison to your mighty heavenly father, your perspective, suddenly they don't seem so, oh, that's the it nation. Oh, that's just where, oh, if only I could go there. I trust if I could just live there, my family will have a better life. Trust in God. To Mount Zion, the place of the name of the Lord of hosts. And then in chapter 19, we continue our tour from Cush to Egypt, an oracle concerning Egypt. Behold, the Lord is riding on a swift cloud and comes to Egypt. Now, this is a word picture that will be very meaningful. It's it's a common word picture because we see in the book of Psalms also we see pictures that David paints of the Lord riding on the clouds. But it was very meaningful to the people of the area because the Lord God is the one who gives rain and not the gods of the day, which in their pantheon of gods, they would have their God that would be the God of rain and fertility. And God is saying, you know what? No, I'm the God who gives the rain. I'm riding on a swift cloud. Yeah, coming to Egypt. The idols of Egypt will tremble at his presence. He is sovereign. He is Lord of all. God over every everything and and this whole earth, every nation. And the hearts of the Egyptians will melt within them. And I will stir up Egyptians against Egyptians, and they will fight each against another, and each against its neighbor, city against city, kingdom against kingdom. And the spirit of the Egyptians within them will be emptied out, and I will confound their counsel. And they will inquire of the idols and the sorcerers and the mediums and the necromancers, And I will give over the Egyptians into the hand of a hard master. It's referring to, can you guess which nation? Which nation was the superpower of the day? Assyria. So God is saying, I'm going to give the Egyptians over to Assyria. And a fierce king will rule over them. And you know that the Assyrians were known for their cruelty, right? Remember when God told Jonah to go to Assyria and preach The word of God? Assyria? Are you kidding me? Right. They were known to be fierce. And the waters of the sea will be dried up, and the river will be dry and parched, and its canals will become foul, and the branches of Egypt's Nile will diminish and dry up. Reeds and rushes will rot away. There will be places bare places by the Nile, on the brink of the Nile. So obviously the Nile is a place that is a powerful river. It's what Egypt is known for. And it was Egypt was very dependent upon the Nile for its prosperity because every year it will overflow its banks and all that rich water will come and spill out over the, the land and let there be the 
the ground would become so fertile and lush and bringing life to the to the agriculture and the people could eat but not that's not going to happen if god the god of heaven the real true god the sovereign god if god just decides me the one who rides on the clouds on the dark clouds i'm going to say no rain he's showing himself to be sovereign over the nations and over all of these pantheon of gods that they all depended upon. And again, in Isaiah, we will be left with that question. Who do you trust in? Who are, who are you trusting for your safety? Who are you trusting for your prosperity? Oh, I'm trusting because I'm working in this great company. Nothing's going to happen <laughs> until the unforeseen happens. You need to be trusting in God. And all that is sown by the Nile will be parched, will be driven away, and will be no more. The fishermen will mourn and lament, all who cast a hook in the Nile, and they will languish who spread nets on the water. The workers in combed flax will be in despair, and the weavers of white cotton, those who are the pillars of the land, will be crushed, and all who pay, all who work for pay, will be grieved." The princes of Zoan are utterly foolish. Now, Zoan was at one time the capital of Egypt, and the wise men of Egypt were famous. They had quite a reputation, and their wisdom was sought after. But the wisdom of man is foolishness to God. In 1 Corinthians 2 verse 5, we see, so that your faith may not rest on man's wisdom, but on God's power. In Psalm 118, verse 8, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Over and over, these kinds of truths are the truths we see in the book of Isaiah. And it's things that are livable. We need to live this. We need to live trusting the Lord our God. Because if we trust in God, we will never be put to shame but if we trust in man, what's going to happen? The princes of Zoan are utterly foolish. The wisest counselors of Pharaoh give stupid counsel. Ooh, strong words from Isaiah. How can you say to Pharaoh, I am a son of the wise, a son of ancient kings? Where then are your wise men? Let them tell you that they might know what the Lord of hosts has purposed against Egypt. Only God can see the future and lay it out and say, this is the way. You better walk in this way. The princes of Zoan, all these wise, wise men, the wisdom of this earth, have become fools. And the princes of Memphis are deluded. Those who are the cornerstones of her tribes have made Egypt stagger. The Lord has mingled within her a spirit of confusion, and they will make Egypt stagger in all its deeds as a drunken man staggers in his vomit. And there will be nothing for Egypt that head or tail, palm branch or reed may do. When God speaks it, it will be so. So get your life in line with the word of God. And it's awesome because God speaks incredible things for us. If you will trust in the Lord, give him your life, serve him with your life, determine to live his way. 
it will be well with you. Remember earlier in Isaiah, tell the righteous it will be well with them, but for the wicked, things are going to fall apart. Verse 16, in that day, so here we go with a series again of in that day. In that day, the Egyptians will be like women trembling with fear before the hand that the Lord of hosts shakes over them, and the land of Judah will become a terror to the Egyptians. Everyone to whom it is mentioned will fear because of the purpose that the Lord of hosts has purposed against them. In that day, there will be five cities in the land of Egypt that speak the language of Canaan and swear allegiance to the Lord of hosts. Speak the language because they will be worshiping the Lord God. Speak the language. They have to have enough Hebrew to get by. They have to be, they're going to Jerusalem. They're going to Israel to worship the Lord. And of course, this might be talking about millennial reign, that this will be all taking place and happening. It, it is saying in that day. So it's something that's not today in, in Isaiah's writing. It's, it's future tense. In that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord at its border. It will be a sign and a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. An altar to the Lord in the land of Egypt. This We're talking about a country that just recently in our news, just in recent times, you can see in the news Egypt the people there burning down churches, um, tearing down crosses, persecuting the people of God in every imaginable way, but an altar and a memorial, and God will answer their prayers. It says, when they cry to the Lord because of oppressors, he will send them a savior and a defender and deliver them, and the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians. Never think that you are the only one that God cares about. And I know you don't think that way, but there's this tendency to think, well, it's us and it's our church and that person is evil. So yeah, but why not pray for that evil person? Because maybe there's hope that they could turn to God, just like when Jonah went to Assyria. He wasn't even happy because they repented, <laughs> but they did. How about Saul of Tarsus? Saul, who became the great Apostle Paul, but before that was persecuting the believers. There is nothing impossible with our God. There's nothing too hard for God. So don't limit God in your thinking. If you've got a, an enemy, someone who's coming against you, someone who's coming against your business, tearing it down in every possible way, and they seem so powerful, God is more powerful. So trust in God and look to him because amazing things can happen. Things that you will never, you will never have conceived that this could happen. But God is all powerful. And the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians and the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day and worship with sacrifice and offerings, and they will make vows to the Lord and perform them. Oh, that's important. If you make a vow, you better perform it. And the Lord will strike Egypt, striking and healing, and they will return to the Lord 
and he will listen to their pleas for mercy and heal them. Now, in verse 23, in that day, there will be a highway. What do you know about highways in the book of Isaiah? It is one of the themes in the book of Isaiah. You will see highways from Egypt, highways from Assyria, and it's all referring to redemption. When God redeems his people, there is a highway, a way of holiness. And what do we see? Jesus is the way. And when you look up that word, it means highway. You will be referred to this sea highway. Yes, there will now, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. Assyria? <laughs> Isn't that a bad thing? Aren't they the superpower? Aren't they the feared nation? Aren't they the it nation that if you could just get Assyria on your side, if you could just, everything will be okay? No. Uh, from Egypt to Assyria, and Assyria will come to Egypt, and Egypt into Assyria, and the Egyptians will worship along with the Assyrians. In that day, Israel will be third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth. Who? Egypt, Israel, Assyria, all worshiping God, the true God, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. In the millennial reign of Jesus, all nations will come and worship the Lord in Jerusalem. And these nations that have historically been enemies with one another, Egypt, Assyria, and of course Israel, they're going to worship together. Wow. Okay, just imagine the worst person you can think of, the worst enemy you can think of. And then imagine, what if God works such miracles that you are worshiping together, worshiping the Lord, your creator, your God together? You know, there will come a day that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Now, chapter 20, in the year that the commander-in-chief who was sent by Sargon, the king of Assyria, came to Ashdod and fought against it and captured it. This is another clear time marker that Isaiah uses. He loves to use these time markers. You know exactly where he's talking about, and you know exactly when he is talking about. And isn't it that he also gives very specific prophecies in terms of the number of years till things will happen? He's, he's, his mind is so organized, Isaiah, and his writing is very clear and very specific. So chapter 20, as we read it, it's a very short chapter, but it's like a narrative inserted into the middle of all these prophecies, these oracles against the various nations. It's like an illustration, because he wants to bring home the message that he's been trying to bring to Judah and Jerusalem, not to rely on this king or that nation or these people for help to protect them against Syria, because it is just folly. The people were trusting in Cush and in Egypt to help them against Syria, Assyria rather, 
rather than trusting in the Most High God. So it says, At that time the Lord spoke by Isaiah the son of Amos, saying, Go and loose the sackcloth from your waist and take off your sandals from your feet. And he did so walking naked and barefoot. Now, when it says naked in the scripture, <laughs> a lot of the times it just means you've taken off your outer robe. Like Peter, when he went to, um, he was fishing and he went to jump in and go see men in the water and then get to Jesus, uh, throwing off the outer robe. So he threw off his sackcloth and he was walking with only his inner garments and his, and he was barefoot. Then the Lord said, as my servant Isaiah has walked naked and barefoot for three years as a sign and portent against Egypt and Cush, so shall the king of Assyria lead away the Egyptian captives and the Cushite exiles, both the young and the old, naked and barefoot, with buttocks uncovered and the nakedness of Egypt. Then they shall be dismayed and ashamed because of Cush their hope and Egypt their boast. So you see the people of Egypt? How uh, the people of Israel, how is this being described? Cush, their hope, Egypt, their boast. These people of Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah was prophesying to, he says, come on, guys, you need to look at the end. And I think David says that in his Psalms. It, in various places of the scripture, we are taught, don't envy the wicked. And don't look up to them and don't think, oh, wow, look at the end. Look at the where they're going to end up and look at where you're going to end up and just trust in the Lord. And the inhabitants of this coastland will say in that day, behold, this is what happened to those in whom we hoped and to whom we fled for help to be delivered from the king of Assyria. And we, how shall we escape? So what's our takeaway lesson? For this passage today. So just as David sang to the Lord in this song for teaching, Psalm 60, verse 11 and 12, Oh, please help us against our enemies, for all human help is useless. With God's help, we will do mighty things, for he will trample down our foes. That's the New Living Translation of Psalm 60. It's too bad that the descendants of David had to learn that lesson over and over again. Man's help versus God's help. <laughs> Who are you going to trust? Hebrews 13, verse 6. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? And that's the NIV of Hebrews 13, verse 6. Trust in God. God is sovereign. God has all authority in his hand. There is nothing too hard for him. There is nothing you could possibly imagine that would be too hard for your God to accomplish in your life and in the life of your family. So don't put your hope in human beings. Put your hope in a mighty, powerful Father who loves you so much that he gave his only son to die for you. Yes, our God is worthy of our adoration and our praise and our honor and our service. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us in Morning Devotions today. 
and it will be our pleasure to join with you again tonight for our evening service at 7 p.m. God bless you.